James chapter 2, James chapter 2, so um, starting with verse 1. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold faith to in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes in your meeting wearing gold rings and depressed and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in this good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into the court? Don't they blaspheme the good name of that which is evoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles on one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you commit, if you commit adultery, but, do, but you murder, you are breaking the law. Speak and act as those who are judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to those who have shown, who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, we just thank you for this day that you've given us, and we thank you for this opportunity to come here and praise you this morning and hear your word, Lord. And I pray that as we hear your word, we would just open our hearts and we would examine our hearts, that if we hear you this morning, if you speak to our hearts, that we would listen, Lord. And I pray that you would just help us to change anything that might be in the way of us growing and coming closer to you and loving as we're supposed to love others, Lord. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I've been going through the book of James, as we all know. And uh, um, so last time I was in chapter 1, starting or 19 through 26. And so I just kind of want to do a real quick recap. I think it's important to kind of go over some of what I said last time because I think it's a type of filter that we should look at the rest of what James has to say through. And so if you remember right, this is a letter that's written to the Jewish uh, community, Jewish believers who were dispersed abroad. They were uh, oppressed, going through oppression. And uh, so they were a little bit of everywhere, everywhere from uh, Mesopotamia all over to Europe and to Egypt. Uh, because of persecution and partially because uh, when empires came in in the Old Testament, they, they pulled them out of their homeland and they would take them back to Babylon or back to, or put them in Egypt or back to Assyria. And so they're a little bit of everywhere. And so this is to all of them Jewish believers. But just because it's to the Jewish believers doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to us. So as we think about the message this morning, we need to, we need to have open minds and open hearts. And so I want to go back to 19 and 20 of verse, um, of chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So if you remember, if you remember right, whenever I preached that, I, I talked about how it's lumped in with hearing the word and then doing the word. 
You know, a lot of times we look at that verse, those two verses, and we think that that's talking about how we should relate to each other. Being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And that is a good model of how we should interact with each other, but it is also, in most Bibles, lumped other under the title, hearing the word and being doers. And so the reason why that's important is because I think that James intends for us to see that and, and to look at the rest of this letter and, and be humbled and accept it. Um, because there are times in our lives where God shows us through his word, whether it be a sermon or a Sunday school lesson or even in your private time where you're reading your Bible, he shows things to us that needs to change. And sometimes we accept that. Sometimes we hear that and we want to change that if we're interested in growing in our faith and becoming mature and becoming more like Christ. But then there are other times where God shows us something that we didn't see before and we don't really think, maybe we don't think that that applies to us or maybe we, we, don't want to, we don't want to admit that that's a thing with us and so we might shift blame or we might say, well, that applies to them or not me uh, or we might get angry about it and I've done that multiple times in my life and that's a tendency as humans because we don't want to, we don't want to see the weaknesses that we have sometimes. Sometimes we would rather avoid those and not have to think about them. Uh, but it's important because when we do listen and we do allow God's word to speak to us and we, we respond to that and we become doers of the word and we change what God is asking us to change, we grow as Christians. And so the reason that's important is because I, I think James puts that up front because everything he says after that is instruction on how we're supposed to live our lives as Christians. And he's trying to tell us up front, guys, I'm going to tell you some things. You may not like some of the things that I tell you, but I'm going to tell you these things. And I want you to be quick to listen to everything I'm about to tell you. And, and don't, don't be argumentative and, and don't be getting angry real quick, but absorb what I'm trying to tell you and then let it change your heart. And so whether that's, whether that's in a sermon that, that uh, a preacher preaches or in Sunday school or in your private time, always be willing to step aside and listen to what it's saying and examine your heart and be open and say, is there an area of my life where I fall under that category? And so um, I know that even today's lesson, I've been guilty of that. So we're going we're gonna to get into this. Um, so verse 1 says, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism, as you hold to our, onto the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just want to, first of all, talk about what is favoritism. And I think a simple definition is having favorites, and I think that's pretty obvious. But I think that there's a reason why God is so against favoritism. And that's because at the core of favoritism, and we may not even think it, we may not even say it at times, but at the core of favoritism is, is the idea that we're placing more value on one person or one group of people over another. And so that's where God has a problem with favoritism. And the reason this is a problem is because God has created us all in his image, every single one of us. And so because we're created in his image, and simply because of that fact, we all have the same value. Um, and, and sometimes we don't, sometimes we might forget that. Sometimes we might think of ourselves more valuable, and sometimes we might show favoritism and think of others more valuable. Um, but sometimes I don't even think we do it. And so we, if we think about certain circumstances where people may not realize what they're, that they're showing favoritism, sometimes parents have a tendency to show favoritism to one child, and I don't think that a lot, there's a lot of times where they don't even realize it, but that child sees it as favoritism. They're spending more time with them. They're doing more things with them. 
And, and so as a result, the other child feels isolated because they're supposed to be the same, the same treatment. Um, and I, I, I think about, uh, as, I, as I'm a youth, youth leader, I'm thinking about cliques at school and how much of an effect that that has on people who, who are left out. And so I think this is one of the reasons why James is telling us about favoritism, uh, because it has a tendency to degrade someone when they feel like they're not involved, they feel like they're not a part of things. And uh, sometimes it's just because we're more comfortable with those people that we're hanging out with. I don't even think we realize it, that uh, we're doing it, but sometimes it's because we're more comfortable or we have more in common. Um, and so we see this among Christians too. Uh, that, that even if it might be innocent and we don't realize we're doing it, that sometimes we pick favorites as Christians. And so when he talks about not holding to our faith in Jesus Christ with favoritism, why does he say that? Why specifically, if we claim to be a Christian, why can't we hold favoritism just because of Jesus? Um, well, the, the, the simple answer is you cannot follow Jesus and maintain an, a heart of favoritism. And the reason is, is because we all have the same value. God created us the same. And we are children of God. And because we're children of God, we're held to a different standard than the rest of the world. So if we think about Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. And so God is our Father. We are children of God, and we're to imitate Him. And so in order to imitate Him, we have to think about what his character is like, and what he looks at other people, what he sees. And so i got a few verses here that kind of get us flowing in that area. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 25. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. And so we see with that verse that nobody gets away with anything. And us as Christians, the only reason why we get in a way with anything is not because we're good, but because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Uh, but sometimes we look at people as humans who have a, a good reputation, maybe they're smart, maybe all these things, and we might look past the things that they do that's wrong. But God doesn't. God doesn't say, oh, that person's better than the other. And so right off the bat, the very character of God is that he looks beyond what we see to the heart, and he sees value there, and he treats everybody the same. Another verse another to think about is Acts 10, 34, through 35, this is when Peter was first starting to realize that, hey, God loves the Gentiles just as much as the Jews. And so Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the one or the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so it's not the one that, that's a Jew over a Gentile. It's the one whose heart, he looks at the heart. He's never looking at anything else but our hearts. And he always knows what our heart says. And so Peter had to learn that God had placed value on everyone and not just the Jewish people. And we all have to learn that because there's sometimes where we get in the same predicament. Um, and another verse is one that we all know, I'm sure. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So that verse simply says whoever believes in him. It says that God loved the world. Jesus came for the world. And that means every nation, every religion, every person, every people group on the earth, he came for them. And so that shows the very character of God, that God loves all. And he's willing to send his son for all. And he's willing to die on the cross for all. And so as followers of Christ, we cannot stand back and show 
favoritism. We must look at everyone the same way that God looks at everyone. And if God has placed equal value on everyone, then as his children, we must do the same thing. And so there's, there's a variety of examples that I could think of for this, um, but one that stands out in my mind uh, is after 9-11, you know, we had, we had a bunch of, you know, we, we got angry, we got upset, there was a lot going on, uh, I can remember that. Um, but we started looking at all Muslims, a good group of us, the same, that when some of them started moving over here, we looked at them and we were afraid. Instead of being loving and showing the gospel to them, we were afraid. And I remember I had that heart set even back in that day because we didn't know how were they coming to take over our country or whatever. Um, and, and in a sense, uh, that there are some who wish to. But we can't look at all of them and say the same thing. Um, it's not up for us to judge that. We should have been and we should be realizing that they have the same value as everyone else. And we should be taking the gospel to them. And we should be showing kindness and love to them. And I think many Christians do. But I still think there's a mindset that's, that thinks when we look at them that they're less valuable because of what religion they come from. And the truth is that that's just a lie. Jesus came for them just like anyone else. And so we can't approach life with that mindset. We have to look at them with love. And so in... Um, in Sunday school, we've had, uh, we've had someone ask to do a world's religion class. And so that's what we're going to be doing for a little bit, learning about some other religions, comparing it to what we believe. And, and so I believe the importance of that is because you can't reach someone properly unless you know what they believe. And so that's a form of love. That's a form of expressing uh, the truth to them in a way that we can love and show them. In order to do that, we have to know what they believe. But the whole point of this is that Favoritism says to one group of people over another that we reject you, but we accept you. And I, I think as Christians, we have to look at people differently. Uh, we have to look past the fear. We have to look past the things that we can be biased of. And we have to look and see that simply because they are made in the image of God, that they are loved by God, and so we should love them too. And it's hard sometimes. I get that. It's hard sometimes. But we have to do it. It's a command. And so verse 2 through 4. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothing and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? And, and so it starts off by telling us about a person who comes in with gold rings. Um, let's see. Yes, gold rings. And I had, I had found out, I always just pictured that as a gold ring around their finger. Uh, but then I saw a picture the other day when I was studying it that it's actually wreath, a gold wreath that someone would come in that... Um, that shows basically the appearance. And, and there are people who come and they just appear wealthy. And there are people who praise those who are wealthy over those who are not. And, and that happened in the church back then. I still believe it happens today. Um, and so God has something to say about that. Uh, do not act unjustly when deciding a case. This is Leviticus 19.50. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. 
Leviticus 19.15. That's a command from God. So it's easy, it's easy to overlook the poor. And I think that if Christians didn't overlook the poor, there wouldn't be poor. And so it's obvious, it's evident that we do have a tendency to look, overlook the poor. And I've, I've heard other Christians say this. I've had this mindset at times in my life. Um, when you go by somebody who's poor on the streets, well, I'm not going to give them money because they'll just go buy drugs and alcohol. Or they got themselves into that situation. And uh, I've heard that, I've said that in the past, and I've had that thought sometimes that it's hard to get past that. Um, but the answer is, is that that's not our place to judge. That's not our place to call. And we don't have to give anybody money. Uh, sometimes it's as simple as giving them something they can use or giving them something that they can uh, live off of or, or buying them a meal or having a conversation because I've learned that a lot of times those people who are poor and on the streets, they feel invisible. And so, and so we do... We can't overlook it if we're not careful, if we don't have a heart. And I think uh, one of the things that God's moved me to do here uh, is, is we, I don't know if anybody knows, anybody's ran into someone, but we have a lot of people that come off the interstate here looking for something. And uh, sometimes you can kind of tell, like, this person, I don't know if, if I give them money, I don't know what they're going to do with it. Uh, I think God kind of leads us if we trust him. But you, we can still do something for him or her. And, uh, and so I've, I've kind of had a heart to put together some care packages. I haven't got started on it yet, but to put together some items like uh, hygiene items, uh, some food that you can save that we can give to somebody who stops by the church and they can go, you know, they can at least have something. Uh, and I think that that's important because even just that small act says that God cares about you and so do I. Because we are, if we are to imitate God, then we have to look at people the way he does, and we have to treat people the way that he's called us to treat people. Um, but a lot of times there are many Christians, and myself included at times, that we judge by appearance, status, and even lifestyle. And it goes against how we're called to love our neighbors. And it's not up to us to decide whether they deserve attention or affection. It's up to us to look past ourselves and look past our own biases, bias and love them in spite of that. And I think in this country, for the past several decades, and I think, I think there's a movement that's getting better, but I think many Christians, and even in periods in my life, where we failed at this, we failed to look back some, past someone's status, we failed to look past their sins, we failed to look past the dirt that they have in their lives, to see a person who is created in the image of God. And simply because they are created in the image of God, they need love, and we look past that, and we don't try to decipher who needs what, we just go for it. We just love. And I think that when we do the opposite, when we do what many Christians, many of us have been doing, we push people away from God. And there's a variety of people, there's a variety of reasons people don't want God. Like some people just don't want to give up their sin and so they aren't going to darken the doors of a church. But sometimes it is because we as Christians send off the wrong message about who God is. And so the reason is, is that we are children of God. They judge God's love based off our love, which is a scary thing if you think about it because we don't always love the way God loves. We fall short in that area. And so they're looking at us and they can think one or two things. If God loves that way, then I want nothing to do with Christians. I want nothing to do with Jesus. And so they leave. Or if we are loving the way that Jesus tells us to love, then 
they might look at our lives and say, if God loves like that, then I want that love in my life. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we living that kind of love out towards others, exhibiting that kind of love towards others? Um, Verse 5 through 7. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into the court? Don't the blasphemy the good name that was evoked upon you? And so, as we think about this, one of the first things he says is, um, didn't God choose the rich to be, or the poor in spirit to be heirs of the kingdom of God? So why, why would those who are poor uh, be rich in faith? Why would those in poor have a, better, uh, th- a better, better chance of going into the kingdom of God? I think that a couple, a couple Sundays ago, Pastor Bill preached on this, the rich ruler. Whenever the, the guy came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, uh, he gave him the list of laws and he said, I fulfilled all those. And he's like, one thing you lack is to sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor. And he couldn't do it. He walked away. Why? Because that was his God. So he broke the first commandment doing that. And the thing is, like, oftentimes if we have a lot, we can be consumed by that. And the truth is, is that the rich man wanted eternal life, but he didn't want Jesus. And the kingdom, he didn't want the kingdom that he had to offer. And so the reason it's so hard is because we can get consumed by the things that we have, that we rely on that in our times of desperation and the times that we need hope, instead of realizing that Jesus has a better life for us. And so... Um, Verses 8 through 11. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Um... And so it mentions right off the bat the royal law. So what is the royal law? Well, he mentioned it above. Uh, he talks about loving your neighbor as yourself and loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so that's the royal law. And the reason he calls it the royal law is it's because the reign of God. that It's a part of the kingdom of heaven. And so one thing I've tried to keep bringing up when I preach is when I talk about the kingdom of heaven is understanding that it's not just a place where we go when we die. It's here, it's now, it exists, it's in our midst, and we live out the royal law. When we do that, we manifest, we make manifest the kingdom of heaven that people can actually come into contact with the kingdom of heaven on this earth. And it's always important to remember that it exists now because if we don't, then we become like those who are, who are we become like the rich man or we become like um, the people who, this might be too, like that we that we live just for eternity, that we just come to Jesus and we just exist until Jesus comes back and takes us home, or um, we just don't live for him while we're on this earth. We don't show the love of others because we kind of forget that he has a reason for us here. And so it's important to realize that he has a mission for us here and now. So this is where James tells us that favoritism is a sin. And uh, I had to think about it for a little bit. And after I did think about it for a little bit, I'm like, well, that's a dumb, you know, dumb question. Like, why? Why does he say it's a, like God says not to do it? 
Sometimes we think of the list of Ten Commandments, but God specifically tells us not to show favoritism towards those who, anyone, those who have more, uh, those who we are more comfortable around. And so when we do this, we break the law. And sometimes we do it unknowingly. Um, so I'm going to go through verse 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, it talks about the law of freedom. What is the law of freedom? Well, because Jesus has set us free, we are under the law of freedom. We are no longer under condemnation. That means that God has shown us mercy when we don't deserve it. And we are expected to do the same for others. Um... I think about the parable that Jesus gave about the slave who owed the master a lot of money. And he went and he pleaded with the master and the master forgave his debt. And then that slave went around and he went and beat the guy who was supposed to owe him money. And so he didn't show mercy. And so he goes back to the master and the master's not very happy with him and he throws him in prison until he can pay off his debt. And so that's what Jesus is showing us is that we show mercy to those because God has shown us mercy because we're under the law of freedom. And so it's our obligation to take that and live that life towards others, the love that God has shown us. Everyone was worth dying for in the eyes of God. And so we must love everyone the same way that God loves everyone. And so, as I wrap things up rather early, (laughs) to ask ourselves this morning, do we show favoritism in church? And that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. And I think that it's easy to do. I think that we can do that and not even realize it. I think about myself in this area. That when you guys hired me, you hired me to work with the youth. And, and as a result of not having much time outside of work or outside of uh, that, I've gravitated towards the youth over the adults. You might think, well, that's what we were hired for. But... That's not what God says to do. I'm supposed to reach out to anyone and everyone. And so while I didn't mean it that way, um, when I did gravitate, it's almost as if I've said that they're more important than the adults. And uh, I hope no one's taken it that way. It wasn't intentional. And since I've been full-time, I've had more opportunity to, to connect with many of you. And so I've been grateful for that. It's been really good to have that connection. Um, but we can do that. We can become comfortable or or consumed by one person and one group of people that we forget that we're supposed to be loving all, all of each other. The same, that's what Jesus says, love one another as I loved you. And love is not passive. We don't just think, well, I love that person, or I'm fond of that person. Like, we're actively supposed to pursue others. And it's an area that we all got to work on in our lives, uh, in one form or another, either in here or out in the world. Um, sometimes it's just because we become comfortable. And... Uh, um, sometimes it's because we have more in common. Sometimes maybe it's because this person smells better than that person or acts better than that person. Um, but Jesus is calling us to be so much more than that. And so we all have equal value. I think that's the main thing to take away from this because if we don't really have that mindset, then we're more likely to put more focus on this person or group than that. And um, we can't reach people with the gospel if we don't branch out and look at all people the same. Jesus died for all of us. 
You know, this morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him as your Savior, you have to understand that Jesus died for you. And so maybe you're going through life and you feel what we've talked about. You feel less valuable in your life. You felt like an outcast. And there's been many times in my life where I felt the same. Understand that God sent his son to die for you. That he never looked past you. That he's never not noticed you. That he's created you in his image. And simply because of that, you have value. And because you have value, God pursues you every day of your life. And he's asking you to trust his son and what he did on the cross. That he wants to be your heavenly father. He wants to have a relationship with you. A relationship where he will show you your value. Well, he will let you see how important you are to him. Not because he needs us. Not because he has to have us, but because that's who he is. He loves us simply because that's who he is. And so the gospel is is that Jesus came into this world over 2,000 years ago and died for all of our sins so that we can be forgiven of our sins because all of us have this huge debt of sins that we owe to God and we can never repay it. We're never good enough. We're never strong enough or, or, or any of that to repay this debt. And so Jesus comes into the world and perfect. He's perfect. He has enough goodness. He has enough perfection to pay that debt for us. And he dies on the cross in our place so that when we trust in Jesus and we give him our life and we turn away from our sin and and follow him and ask God to forgive us, um, God looks at us through the eyes of Jesus and he doesn't see our imperfection. He sees the perfection of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he did that for each and every one of us in this room and in the world. And that message is so good. Um, because Lord knows I've, I've made my share of mistakes in my life and I've needed God's forgiveness, not just so I can get into heaven, but so I could have that relationship with God. It's been the most valuable thing in my life and everybody needs that relationship. But if we look at value on one person or one group of people over the other, then it stops with us and we don't share the gospel with everyone and we become partial. Um, we have to look at this through the eyes of God when it comes to... Um, favoritism, that he he's placed value on all of us. And so it's just as simple as that. He's placed value on all of us. And because of that, we go beyond our own comforts. We go beyond what, what we see in our bias, and we look at others, and we see the value of God, and we simply just love them for who they are. Um, not because they deserve it, because we don't deserve it, but because God says to and because when we, God changes our heart, we genuinely should love others. That's, that's, that, was, that brings us back to the first one. Don't say that you're a Christian and, and single out groups of people. Um, there's another version that says, can we actually have favoritism and, and be saved? We, can we be Jesus? And that's a good question to think about. I don't know if it was an accurate translation, but um, it is a good question to think about. Can we be followers of Christ and show favoritism? I think the answer is no. At least not in God's eyes. And eventually God will hold us accountable for that. Uh, so I'm going to pray. And uh, Actually, no. We're going to do a pastoral prayer. I'm not used to this yet. Um, we're going to do a pastoral prayer. So if you guys would silently just pray, you can come to the front if you want to. Uh, just Maybe something in the message has come into your heart and you've realized that this is an area of life that maybe you need some work on. Uh, I encourage you just to take that moment with God and just talk about that with God and ask him to help you. And so we're going to go ahead and have a few moments of silent prayer.